you had to create experiences, events, moments, campaigns that were really dependent upon what was going on in the world and that were tied to deep benefits for your audience. Welcome to Virtually Live by Kaltura. Every week, we'll get into the latest and greatest in marketing and specifically event marketing, audience engagement, and brand experience. To guide us through that, we've invited event professionals and marketing leaders from various industries. In this week's episode, Kaltura's VP Solutions Strategy and Enablement, Shirley Deutsch, speaks to Chief Marketing Communications Officer at Columbia Business School, Amy Jake, about how virtual and hybrid events create exciting opportunities to build everlasting relationships with your audiences, wherever they are. Let's go. Hi, I'm Shirley Deutsch, VP of Solution Strategy and Enablement, and I'm coming to you virtually live from Tel Aviv. Our guest today is Amy Jake, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Columbia Business School. Uh, Amy held senior marketing positions in large enterprises before joining Columbia Business School as CMCO. Very much on our radar throughout our conversations is identifying the differences between marketing and enterprise and higher education if there are differences. And uh, I know, Amy, that we've, uh, you have some thoughts about that. We've discussed it. Um, but for this chat, though, um, we wanted to keep us focused on perhaps the first step um, to really any market and, uh, and communication effort right, uh, done successfully, which is knowing your audience. But before we get there, um, hi, Amy. Welcome. Where are you joining us from? Well, I'm uh, right outside New York City in a place in Westchester called Larchmont. Let's start at the beginning. You joined Columbia Business School as CMCO about a year and a half ago. Um, what were some of the first things that you did in terms of team setup? Did you have folks in place? Did you need to kind of pivot strategy and, uh, and, and mindsets? Um, tell us about kind of those, those early days as you're kind of forging a path forward. Yeah, well, first, Shirley, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Uh, in terms of the early days, I think, you know, it was a transition for me. This is my first full-time foray into higher education. And so I really spent the first bit of time learning. Um, and I think regardless of where you go, whether it's a new industry or a new company, those first 30 days of that listening tour is so critical. And as I was going through that, what I heard was pretty consistent feedback about challenges, problems, opportunities, and areas where my team could really make a difference. Um, so after that, I worked with our Dean Costis Maglaris and set out our goals and then figured out what the strategies were. I'm a firm believer that team design is actually the third or fourth step in the process that I've outlined that it has to follow where your strategy is uh, and where ultimately your goals are. So knowing what we were going to focus on in the 12 to 18 month uh, road ahead and then looking at three and five year kind of team structure and longer term goals, it became clear that we needed to adjust a bit in how we were perceiving things. So I came into uh, a an organization where many of the people had been there for a long time, but they hadn't worked together. So while they may have had some knowledge of Columbia Business School, you know, they weren't there together as a team. Uh, and then we hired some new people. And so part of the design of the team was thinking through how do you mesh old and new? 
And another part was how do you structurally set up the team so it meets those goals? So more specifically, we have four functions within our marketing and communications team. The first is strategic communications, and their role is about identifying the stories and the messages that should be present in the marketplace um, and internally within our community. The second function is the content team. And so they really bring to life across mediums and channels uh, our stories, those messages, um, and the areas we want to highlight. The third function is marketing. And their role is about connecting those stories and those messages to the right audiences. And the fourth is digital tools and operations. Um, and they provide the digital infrastructure that our tech stack, our website, other elements that really allow the first three parts of the team to do their job. Um, and they do it not only for our team, but we're looking at how to do that on an enterprise-wide level. So that's currently the structure uh, that we are working with. And, and we found that it, it works really well for what we need to be doing in these first 12 to 18 months. So, you know, you talked about um you know, designing and creating the strategy, right? Um, and I think we would probably agree that you probably agree that any um, good strategy starts with identifying and knowing who your audience is. Um, so you know, I think that for most of us, um, at least those of us that are operating outside of higher education, me included, um, we would think that the audience for higher education marketing is prospective students. Seems kind of like the you know the natural go to go to. Um, but you know, in our earlier conversations, what was really interesting um, to hear was that you actually identified, I think, it was five different audiences um, that your team focuses on. Can you talk a little about who who those audiences are? Yeah, absolutely. And Shirley, you are exactly right that prospective students are indeed one of our audiences, uh, but one of several. So we work with prospective students, current students, alumni, recruiters, and senior business and policy decision makers. And our efforts to reach prospective students are really about making sure that they understand the benefits that Columbia Business School or CBS has to offer uh, and that they're excited by the prospect of joining us. For current students, it's about energizing them, um, making sure that the experience that they have on campus and with CBS is both aligned to what they thought it would be and actually even surpasses that. For our recruiter audience, it's about that audience knowing very clearly the value and the benefit that our students bring. For alumni, it's reconnecting them to that feeling that they had on campus and to developing longer term relationships that can be in the form of mentorship. It can be in the form of donations. It can be in a variety of ways, but making sure that they stay connected to the school. And then for senior business decision makers and policy leaders, it's about understanding the knowledge that we generate within CBS and our ability to uh, provide more insights and data and really help to shape some of the strategy that they're employing. Um, and their understanding of the larger landscape. Um, so, you know, clearly these are audiences with very different interests, uh, but, you know, also they're different in terms of their demographics, they're different in terms of their age, in terms of the economics. 
what um, what can you tell us in terms of the the strategy for engaging different audiences? Right? Are you using um, different tech stacks or investing in different channels, or is it about different content? Yeah, that's a great question. So. I jokingly refer to what we don't do, um, which is the spaghetti strategy, kind of throw against uh, spaghetti against the wall, see what sticks and hope that a one size fits all approach works. I've learned in every way, shape or form continuously throughout my career that no matter where you are to your exact point, you can't assume that what you do for one will work for another. And so we are very thoughtful about how we reach these audiences. So to give you just an example, um, our tech stack, which I wish were farther along, that we're building the, the infrastructure now, but things like when do we send emails? What do the emails look like? Uh, what are the messages? You know, they would be segmented by audience. On social, we use Instagram, for instance, for our current and our prospective students. Uh, and that's really because we can bring to life the experience in, in a way that is different than a platform like Twitter. But we use LinkedIn very heavily for alumni and senior decision makers. Um, when we think about media, we also make uh, adjustments there for audiences. So we may pitch something like Morning Brew or newsletters more heavily uh, for a prospective student audience or current student audience than we might for senior decision makers, where we might look more towards the Wall Street Journal or The Economist. Um, the benefit of a great tech stack is that you can be filtering all of this information in, understanding what's working, and then leaning into the areas um, that work really well. Uh, so we are definitely trying to go audience by audience, making sure it's the right platform, the right message, uh, and of course, measuring to be able to optimize and change where it's working, um, you know, lean in more and where it's not make adjustments. So when you started Columbia, it was uh, 2021, uh, probably safe to, uh, to assume that there were already a lot of changes uh, underway. Can you talk a little bit about um, communications and marketing, the changes, you know, and the, um, uh, the way it has evolved really from before 2020 um, to today and how you know, from a marketer's perspective, maybe there's some lessons there that um, you felt, you know, it was important, relevant, uh, you know, to, to, to take forward um, and apply them to kind of more of your, your forward thinking strategies. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think the world changed dramatically between 2020 and today and, and is still changing pretty rapidly. So a couple of takeaways were, and I think marketers tend to know this very well, is that nothing stays the same. And so the idea of being agile and the idea of being nimble and flexible, being able to pivot was you know, really front and center. Um, there were so many strategies that had to be adapted very quickly. And to keep that mindset of maybe this will work, maybe this won't, we'll test, we'll move quickly, we'll, we'll change things. That's always going to be a benefit to marketers and I think to audiences, right? Because they want their brands, they want uh, organizations that they care about to move along with them. So I think that was one element. The second is that there obviously was less physical contact. And so the move to virtual platforms as a really strong way to connect and communicate with audiences was another. 
Uh, you continue to see organizations use virtual, even though many in-person events have come back. And it's because there's a benefit to that. It's because there's an opportunity for broader groups to join in on the conversation. You might not be limited by geographic boundaries. You might be able to draw on people who might not have felt comfortable at in-person events, but feel really comfortable participating or observing even from the sidelines on virtual. So you definitely saw a shift to the use of virtual platforms, whether it was uh, virtual events, um, more communities springing up uh, or being more kind of um, active within social media. So I think that's another element. And then the third is that, you know, what we should be doing as marketers is, is thinking about what the audience needs and how we fit into their daily life, what benefit we can provide, how we can help improve their day to day. And when a lot of things moved online, you just had more data. If you were doing things like social listening, um, you should be picking up more information, you know, so we I think if you were paying attention and you used the changes in behavior to really listen to your audience, there are a lot of great marketers um, that found new insights just by virtue of, of spending more time online and kind of listening. And as marketers, we always have to be audience centric. Um, so the last element was making sure that our communications that are material was representative of the experiences people were going through at the time um, and making sure that the messaging, you know, didn't ignore what was happening in the world, that it fit into the life that people were leading um, and that, you know, the platforms were set up to be the, or the platforms that people were using were the ones that marketers were using. We no longer had a choice of seven or eight options of where to be or what to do. And so I think, you know, really understanding the two or three that were most important to audiences, not to marketers, but to audiences, and then building out strategies from there uh, were pretty crucial. I love that because, uh, you know, the, uh, the whole putting the audience at the center, it kind of brings me back to, um, you know, our, our earlier conversations around is there a difference between enterprise marketing and higher ed marketing? And I love how, you know, from the get-go you said, no, good marketing is good marketing, you know, point, point blank. Um, and I think that it, it really, you know, uh, speaks to that, which also makes me think, you know, when you, as you think about virtual events, right, and you think about audiences, your different audiences and kind of their different characteristics, do you also think that, um, different events are more suited for, uh, are better suited for different audiences? That's a great question. I don't know if, I mean, certainly there are, are events where being in person, um, you know, really adds tremendous value. There are events where being virtual adds tremendous value. I don't know that I have a specific view on different types of events for different audiences, but you raise a really interesting point around how do you take that event and create assets for different audiences after? Because for me, and full disclosure, I, I worked in events marketing several years ago and I'm a huge fan of both physical and, and virtual events. To me, the event is not the final action. And I think sometimes people tend to think, 
you've done all this work, you've put together a wonderful panel, you've gotten people to the event and that's it. Um, and if that's the end of the journey, that really is a missed opportunity because to me, it's a, actually equally as important what happens after your audience comes is what happens you know, on the evening or the morning that they get there. So do you see the role of virtual events um, expanding in terms of your marketing and, uh, and communication strategy? Um, you know, I think that Columbia Business School kind of is in this unique position because, because of the location, right? Like, it's hard to beat the excitement of New York City, um, especially when you have uh, you know, the new campus um, that you just uh, opened recently. So congratulations on that, by the way. Um, do you see virtual events uh, expanding in your, in, in, in your strategy and kind of how are you thinking about the in-person versus virtual? Is it taking up kind of a different uh, place in your marketing communication toolkit? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we were fortunate in that we have been in person as a community for, for most of COVID um, with health precautions, of course, but we weren't able to hold events. So coming back to this idea of having events as a really important part of how we communicate with audiences is really exciting for us. I think as, as most marketers have probably seen, there's been a rush to kind of physical in-person events um, because so many of them haven't happened for so long. So we're certainly trying to meet that need. And as you said, Shirley, you know, the being in New York is an incredible advantage for us. It means that we have access to some of the top leaders from around the world and that when those who don't live here pass through, we're really fortunate that, you know, oftentimes they will make a stop at Columbia Business School. And so we're able to do incredible events with incredible people. But we're now thinking of how do we make sure that the lessons we learned and the advantages that virtual had don't fall by the wayside. So one of the things that we're always thinking about is can this event also have a virtual component? We want to make sure that these events are as accessible uh, to as many people as possible. And so previously, it may have only been physical. Now it will likely have some level of virtual um, of a virtual event as well. The second is we've seen some incredible success with virtual series, um, and that has allowed us to work with speakers from around the world, whether or not they were passing through New York. And so there's a number of those types of events that continue to be virtual because we simply have access to more incredible leaders, uh, you know, who may or may not be in New York. And then the third element that I think is really interesting for us is we often thought about how do we take what happens in New York and kind of broadcast that in a bigger way. Now, with what we've seen in terms of virtual events and the benefits that it gives us, we're actually thinking about the converse as well. So we have 50,000 alumni from around the world, and there are an incredible number of events in which we or they are participating. And we're now starting to think, how do we take what's happening internationally and stream that back into our New York community? So for example, for the first time, um, we as CBS, as Columbia Business School, will be at COP27, uh, will be at the COP conference, COP27 in Egypt, and we're putting on a large-scale panel event with the dean of the climate school and the dean of the business school, and that's not something that everybody will be able to physically attend. 
Uh, but we're thinking about how do we take that moment, which previously would have only been accessible to the people attending the conference. We're now thinking, how do we take that moment and bring that back to the community? Do we live stream that for our students? Do we tape that and create some sort of opportunity to um, access it later? Do we have people, um, you know, come and join it as a webinar? So we're certainly thinking a bit differently about all of the events that we're putting on. How do we make those, you know, bigger and broader? And then how can we create new opportunities um, where it makes sense? So a lot to think about. Uh, no defined answers yet, but certainly, you know, very much top of mind for us. Yeah, so I mean, it's very clear there's so many opportunities. Um, and, you know, you know, I, I loved everything that, that you talked about, you know, putting the uh, the audience uh, in the center, thinking about who they are, where to meet them, you know, what value you can bring to them, how do virtual events, you know, figure into your uh, to your overall strategy, even with a prime location, you know, such as New York City, um, how do you actually leverage, you know, the power of, of virtual events in order to connect your global um, community in a much, you know, stronger and and, and richer way. So um, I want to say thank you for uh, for your time and, and, and for all the uh, insight that you shared. Well, thank you, Shelley. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Amy, Jake, and Shirley Deutsch for joining us today. And thank you for tuning in. To give you a little taste of what's coming next week, here's seven questions and events with Microsoft's Corporate Vice President, Global Events, Production Studios, and Marketing Community, Bob Bejan. Welcome everybody to 7x7 Seven Seven with industry expert Bob Bajan. We have no time to waste, so let's go. First question, Bob. What's the one thing you want your attendees to get out of your events? What they need to get out of it. I mean, hopefully they get what they need, and that's why they're there. And uh, when they leave, that's what, what they feel good about. That's great. What's your favorite way to engage with your audience? You know, whether it's digital and being inside a chat stream, kind of and interacting with audience members, or it's walking the back of the house when a, you know, a session is on, uh, getting as close as you can to the audience to sense how they're feeling and engaging is the way I like to engage. Who would your dream keynote be? Uh, no restrictions. Walt Disney. Oh, I like that one. Good answer. Uh, which trend in virtual events are you most looking forward to? Defining the intermingling of uh, the digital innovation that we've had over the last two years with the return of in-person experiences. What's an event marketing pitfall people should watch out for? Racing to make things as they were instead of building on the way things are. Oh, very good one. What's your go-to source for personal development um, in terms of events and marketing? Riding my bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and give a shout out to another event professional. Shout out to Invent. It's one of our best partners in all of uh, the event marketing world and I, I love working with them every day. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Bob, for joining us. Um, that was great.